listening to the Infinity Festival Hollywood Podcast. I'm John Gaunt. The Infinity Festival Hollywood Podcast features top creators and technologists as they explore how to push storytelling to the next level. Now, these sessions from the 2021 Infinity Festival Hollywood are presented by Z by HP, NVIDIA, XLA, and co-presented by Qualcomm. The next edition of the Infinity Festival Hollywood will take place November 2nd through November 5th, 2022 in Hollywood's Vinyl District. Visit www.infinityfestival.com to learn more about this year's event. This episode from the 2021 Festival unpacks the technology issues surrounding how the metaverse gets made. Rick Hack from Intel interviews Jenna Seiden of Zambezi Partners, Hanno Bassi of Microsoft, and Mark Witten of Unity. These leaders pinpoint where we are today and how the technology industry is prepping to build the metaverse of tomorrow. Ready for you guys to come up? Are you all mic'd up and everything? All right, fantastic. Please welcome Hanno Basse and a panel. Let me make a small correction. Rick Hack is moderating. I was just so blown away by Hanno's presence that I just. He is the chairman, right? He is the chair, but Rick is fantastic. All right. Thank you, sir. How y'all doing? Good? All right. We got some people excited about the metaverse, and he, say, he said, actually, whatever that is. So I guess I better ask the question, how many people know what the metaverse is or think they know what the metaverse is? Kind of? Okay. We could start there. Anybody read Snow Crash? All right, just checking. Um, so before we get into some introductions here, um, I, I think I, maybe I should define what, according to Wikipedia and Investopedia, what uh, the metaverse is. So let's begin there. Uh, Wikipedia says that the metaverse is an environment in virtual reality where users can interact with others in a purely digital space. And so our mission today, and by sitting on this panel, our panelists have chosen to accept it, <laughs> to determine how the metaverse gets made. So. Let's start off uh, with some introductions. Hanno, I think everybody knows who you are, but just a brief 30-second uh, intro. Yeah, hi, uh, Hanno Basi. Um, uh, it, actually, number one, I want to say thank you all for coming. Really appreciate it. Uh, you know, we've been through ups and, down with, ups and downs with this festival, with the pandemic last year and whatever, so I'm so glad to see everybody here. So really proud to have you guys all back. Thank you so much. Uh, so. Yeah, so I'm, I'm the chairman of the festival, but uh, my day job, I'm the CTO uh, for media and entertainment at Microsoft Azure, which is our cloud platform. Uh, I look back long history in the entertainment industry before Microsoft was the CTO at 20th Century Fox Film. Uh, before then, I worked in television, so a lot of uh, history in television and motion picture production and distribution. Thanks, Hanna. Jenna, next. Hi, everyone. Thank you for including me on this panel. This is great. Uh, my name is Jenna Seiden. I am an independent consultant, advisor, hired gun, interpreter, you name it. Um, I grew up in traditional sports and entertainment, starting at the NBA, then moved to West Coast and worked for every company that was an acronym, CAA, ICM, HTC, <laughs> Xbox. 
there are a couple other ones in there that actually are full words. Um, I have been consulting for the last three years. I work with some independent interactive studios, Beat Games, Baobab Studios, Felix and Paul. And through an acquisition of Beat Games, I'm now a consultant for Meta, formerly known as Facebook. Um, and so I usually go in Any as reaction a- reaction there? <laughs> but I heard something. I'm wearing my independent hat today, not speaking on behalf of Meta. Um, and so uh, I go and I mostly do business development and partnerships, and uh, I do a little bit of a lot of stuff. So it's nice to sit among friends and give you the perspective sort of from the creator standpoint, from a business perspective and other things today. So thanks for having me. Thanks, Mark. Hi, I'm Mark Witten. Uh, by the way, I ordered a Metaverse Spice Latte at Starbucks this morning, so I think the Wikipedia article is probably going to have to get updated. Um, a bunch more companies are actually... Is that with oat milk? <laughs> Sorry? Did it come with oat milk? Oh, yes, okay. for sure. It was great, yeah. It's, but it was, it was a virtual oat milk, so... Got it. <laughs> uh, I, I, um, I lead Create at Unity. So uh, my, my role sort of spans all the tools that uh, and, and the folks that help creators around the world, whether that's in gaming, uh, where Unity is uh, most known for, but also increasingly in non-gaming space, both media and entertainment, but also in a lot of ways that people are using 3D and real-time technology to invent for commerce or architecture or simulation and a bunch of ways that I think are going to be important for um, how the broad world will imagine the metaverse. Thanks, Mark. You, you're pretty modest, too. You were a founding member of Xbox and the Xbox Project and a primary architect of, of Xbox Live. So I want to add that, too. By the way, we uh, we read Snow Crash for Xbox Live. I think we thought we were creating the meta. We, we had a much smaller ambition, but we did read Snow Crash when we made Xbox Live. So. Thank you. Um, so I want to give some statistics here just to, just to kick it off. If everybody was aware of how big the metaverse was last year. So the market value that, that uh, was from Emergent Research was $47.69 billion in 2020. And now, this, was just, this research just came out on Monday, um, compounded uh, uh, annual growth uh, for, through 2028. They're anticipating $828.95 billion. So pretty interesting in industry and glad that you all can join us today for this conversation. Um, I'm also going to begin with an analyst at uh, Artillery Intelligence that says a fully realized metaverse, like one that you might have seen, you know, and portrayed on Ready Player One, is about 30 years away. So I want to ask the panelists, and I'll start with you, Hanno, where are we today, and how are we, how are we preparing, prepping to build the metaverse of tomorrow? Yeah, um, kind of agree with, with that statement. It is maybe not 30 years away, but it's still a couple of decades away for sure, I think. And there's two, I think, main things that uh, that need to happen for this to really take off. One is, uh, you mentioned Ready Player One already, that gives you a little bit of a sense of, you know, what, what that metaverse actually is supposed to be. It's a place you go to school, uh, you make friends or meet, hang out with your friends there, you work there, you shop there, you get entertained, you travel and so on and so forth, all in there. And so number one is you really need a lot more content than we have today. And I think, how do you create the content for this metaverse? How do you make it rich? Uh, how do you make it interesting? How do you make it not repetitive? How do you really make it you know, as interesting as the real world? I think is going to be a key uh, issue. And then even the bigger issue to me actually is 
how do we actually get there, right? I really hope, and no offense here, I really hope it's not a single company that creates the metaverse, right? Uh, that we all end up living in. And so we obviously have bits and pieces of the metaverse today. There's games, there's simulations, there's uh, all kinds of different experiences, uh, any kind of level. I mean, Mark, in your panel earlier, you talked a little bit about like very simple incarnations of of, of the metaverse. So the thing is, so the, that's the second point is, how do you take all these different things that already exist today and really integrate them into a seamless, easily to navigate, you know, experience where you can really go from to this particular world, this particular place, let's say a school was built by the Los Angeles Unified School District and you leave that and you go to a restaurant or to a movie theater, how do you integrate these things together? Because the movie theater right. obviously is going to be created by somebody else. So yeah, how do you transition, right? From world and, to world. And really make it seamless and commerce, commerce, identity management, all that sort of thing is going to be super critical. Yeah, Janet, do you want to comment on that as well? Sure. Um, taking a step back a little bit, I got a frantic phone call or text actually on Sunday morning from a friend. She's a TED speaker and focuses on AR and she sent me this text on Sunday morning saying, what's happening with the raccoons? And I went, what? She goes, who's thinking about the raccoons in the metaverse? <laughs> and I went, this is way too early. But what she was saying was the ridiculousness of all the arbitrary nature of defining the metaverse right now. There's so many people defining it. And at the same time, she brings up raccoons because there's so many variables in this equation that we need to think about. And so I started thinking about the raccoons in the metaverse and, and what, what is the metaverse to me? And whether it's a walled garden, whether it's multiple worlds that are supported by mesh and, and has a nice back end supporting it on, from a platform side, it is a digital layer that interacts with your real physical world. That's how I define it. And I think we're in the metaverse already. I mean, how does Wikipedia come up with a market value if we're not already there? Um, so, that for, so for me, everybody's contributing to the metaverse already. You don't need necessarily to have VR plus internet plus 3D. Who knows what that equation is? We don't know yet. I think stealing from Tony Parisi, it has to be for everyone. There needs to be accessibility and approachability and tools that I'm sure Mark will speak to that not only are for the professionals, but also for the average bear. That's once you decrease the friction. And there need to be standards. And I think where in the past we didn't build together with those standards, you have the Spatial Web Foundation, you have, I'm going to mispronounce, it's like the open metaverse, interoperability, something, something. There are people already thinking about the protocols and the standards and how do IoT devices in the real world, real world work with what's happening in the metaverse in the virtual or augmented world. So for to me, to me, excuse me, so many variables in the equation, everyone in this room is contributing already. We already exist because there's not going to be a point where we go, oh, it's something, date something this year. Oh, we hit it. We're not going to know. We're already happening. It's already happening. So, Mark, what, do you, what are your th thoughts on what is here today, you know, in terms of the metaverse and what, what are we waiting for? Yeah, you, you know, I, I agree. I think the, this idea of how do you drive um, the standards to allow interoperability to happen, uh, because what is here today is the early little flowers blooming. And I, the, to me, the best way that you get to the metaverse is to let the most creators create, uh, because each one of them will inspire the others. The, the, the most beautiful flywheel is creators seeing what other creators are able to do and building upon those ideas. 
which happens best when there are open interoperable standards, when there are lots of ways for people to deliver. And there's already, I, I think there's lots of dispatches from the metaverse today, uh, not just full virtual worlds like uh, a Roblox, which is amazing, or Fortnite, which is amazing. But um, you know, one of the things at Unity is uh, you can take a HoloLens, and if you're in construction, you can walk your construction site and see in the future, because you can see any version of that construction site um, from the real world where it's not built to where the HVAC is going to be sort of visualized in front of you to the completed structure. And by, because you're living virtually in the virtual world as well as the physical world, you can notice that the HVAC has not been laid out right relative to what the plan said and fix it before anyone ever brought actual construction material on. You know, that's someone, construction, you know, people think that this is, Tech, you know, tech, technologists that are out there, but there are construction people every day living in little bitty snippets of the metaverse um, that we're all going to learn from that are going to help us get where we need to be. So then a follow up to that. So within our creator economy, what part do you believe is going is generated now or will be user generated? Oh, so, uh, sorry, is user generated. User, user generated, yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, I believe, uh, well, I don't know what the definition of user is versus creator, because I think that that's one of the most analog terms that will just shift. Uh, I believe that every, today, you know, people obviously, they play a game, but then they, they modify the game, or in uh, all the way up to, you know, something like Minecraft or um, Roblox, they can build little mini sort of creations inside of that game, and those things will obviously continue. But I also believe that as we move towards the, the, the future of the metaverse, everybody that sells something is going to be a creator. Everybody that, um, that sort of um, you know, wants to help someone find their store is going to be one. Every architect is going to be a creator. Every person trying to sell their house is going to be a creator because they're all going to be using 3D and virtual tools um, to develop sort of that experience for how people come in. And they're not going to know. They're not going to think of, they may not even think of themselves using that word creator. They're just going to be trying to get something done that matters to them. And Jenna, I, I wanted this, I think this question is suitable for you, absolutely, for the, from the creator economy. You know, what do you, what do you feel is, is uh, user generated in this world? Everybody needs to be thinking and planning for the professionals and the creator. You know, when you ask somebody, are you a gamer? Most people will say, not a gamer, but they play you know, solitaire on their phone. Like, so there are different degrees of creator, different degrees of gamers. So when I was brought on to consult for Meta, it's so weird saying that. Um, <laughs> One of the questions I was asked, because I'm working on Horizon and I'm producing a couple experiences in there, they're like, well, tell us, tell us what formats work. And I said, I can't, I can't tell you what formats work. You have to give the tools to the creators and let them hack it and tell you what it is. I used to work at Maker Studios, which was one of the biggest multi-channel networks. I handled distribution for 50,000 YouTubers. We did not know that you would have video game walkthroughs or beauty tutorials, but you gave people the tools with just a phone and they created whatever they wanted. So. Every platform needs to be thinking about how you drive value for this creator community. Um, some people want awareness and want to be seen. Some people want to make money. And some people just want to go in and have the experience they want to have at that time. So you, I, everyone needs to have that as one of the top priorities in their roadmap. How, whether it's UGC, user, creator, that has to be one of the top features so that it is accessible to everyone and no one's intimidated or friction-wise, because right now metaverse, sort of a negative. I want to flip it. In fact, it's a positive. It contributes to your life. It's a good thing. Let's change that rhetoric so that everybody feels that it's not intimidating. The hardware is invisible. It's a good place to go and express yourself. So I'm going to ask, since you opened up 
the Pandora's box about Facebook and Meta. I'm going to say, uh, you know, in, in addition, what's your contribution or how has your role changed or in the communication and everything that's happened in the past week or so for you? Wearing my independent contractor hat, I'm not going to speak on behalf exactly, of yeah. Meta. Uh, Meta, Meta. Um, <laughs> so weird. Um, listen, Zuck put out a vision. He has every right to, and I love that he inspired people who disagree with him and agree with him. That's great. Let's talk. Let's get the people who are actually making things talking about it. For me, it didn't change my role too much. It's just repositioning. They're already working on all of these things already. So whether it is going to become a walled garden or not, like we talked about before, it hasn't changed my role. I'm here to be an evangelist for the creators and make sure that the tools help them, that they make money so that you guys can keep creating. That's my job. So my role hasn't changed internally. The sentiments, it's, everyone's excited about it. And again, good things come out of discussion, whether you agree with him or not. So it's been good. Good. So uh, thank you. Hanno, you mentioned it's not going to be just one metaverse, just as you're in your opening statement. So working for Microsoft, wearing that hat, where, um, how are you differentiating yourself from the other hyperscalers? And where do you think it all fits in? Okay. I like Jen here, I, I do work for Microsoft, but I don't think I can really speak on behalf of Microsoft in terms of, um, you know, as a hyperscaler, especially where we're going to end up there. I mean, clearly, uh, the vast majority of content and experiences that are part of, of the metaverse will live in some form of a cloud environment. And, you know, and I think, uh, but this is my personal opinion. So I think at the end of the day, all the major hyperscale cloud providers will have a part to play there. I don't think that, again, it's also my hope actually that it's not a single cloud provider that actually does all this. Um, you know, we've seen the dystopian outcomes of what, what happens when you do that in, in the movies already. Which by the way, that's, we talked a little bit earlier about the role of art and then what we do here doesn't really matter because we're not saving lives. Actually, I think we do because artists are the ones that actually explain to the rest of the world what's going to happen or what's happening and why it's happening. So uh, I think art has a huge role in, 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 in human history. Um, but I think what I want to say is, and this is not just true for Microsoft, but a number of other companies. So for example, uh, the notion of digital twins is a huge uh, thing for Microsoft right now. And we're working with a number of different industry verticals actually on creating and managing and utilizing those digital twins. So, and so from that perspective, it's actually really kind of logical that now is the time that we're talking about this metaverse. Because if you look at, uh, you know, industries like automotive, for example, it's unbelievable how over the last 10 years, the design process of automobiles has changed, right? Even 10 years ago, it was still was drawings, you know, AutoCAD already, not necessarily like on the planchette with, you know, with a piece of paper anymore, but those were still all mechanical drawings. Now, if you go to a Ford Motor Company, for example, I've seen it there personally, every single car that they make now is present in the virtual world. They have a full scale, every little part of it, uh, a digital model of the car. And you can look around it, you can look at it. If you go to, like you build your own um, uh, website, a BMW, for example, those are all 
digital models that you're using and those digital models are based on the actual design uh, data that they, uh, that, that the engineers use to construct the car or to design the car in the first place. You know, uh, it's not, no longer clay models and wind tunnels and whatever, it's all uh, digital. And so, and that's just one example. I think we're seeing this in a number of different industries, right? Uh, game engines, whether it's Unity or whether that's Unreal, are being used for a lot more things than game development today. Uh, Barbara talked about this a little bit earlier today. So I think from that point of view, I think the content creation that I've talked about for the metaverse is already happening. And we're seeing this also in the entertainment industry, right? In the past, if you wanted, let's say, stick with the Ford uh, example. In the past, if you needed a you know, 2020 uh, Ford Mustang of this model with this color, with this, this, and that, you needed an artist or a group of artists actually to recreate this from reference footage, reference photos, and stuff like that. In the future, if you need a Mustang, you can just call out Ford Motor Company and order one, the digital version of it, and they'll deliver it to you. And it's probably gonna be a lot less expensive than having a, a, a group of artists create it. And also, it comes from the authoritative source. So it, you know, I ordered this thing. I don't even need creative approval for this thing. It's there because that's the real Ford Mustang because right. it came from the creator of the car. So, so I think that's clearly gonna, uh, gonna continue. Um, and I can go on and on here for an hour, but I don't. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. So. Um, and we, we, we started to touch on it earlier, but I, I want to get back to it. What are the key ingredients that you think are needed um, you know, I think we talk about AI, talk about network connection, talk about edge compute. I'm going to pose this question to you, Mark. What are your What are your thoughts on what are the things that are necessary in order to build this? Yeah, I think uh, certainly you know better networking and those things are elements are critical, and I think you know we can see the path for those. I think the the most fundamental is. Um, really enabling a new class of content creators with the tools that are going to allow them to be successful. Um, you know, probably more 3D polygons go through Unity than any other, any other, anything else in the world by far because of all of the games that get built. But today, if you thought about 3D content in movies, in all the industrial applications that you're talking about, um, and in games, it's a very small amount relative to what's going to be needed um, to sort of create this metaverse. And it's a small amount created by extraordinarily gifted professionals. And so to take that down to a new class of creators, it's going to require AI that can allow me to imagine in 3D. Uh, I like to joke that I can take a photo pretty well with my iPhone. Truth is, my iPhone probably runs 5 million lines of code every time I click the button itself to try to make me feel like a better one. I'm under no illusion that I can model anything in 3D. Like, I, I, like I, that, the bar is actually much higher to sort of pull that down for me to be able to create or for a, a broader set of people to be able to create. And that's absolutely required, it's, it's, as Hanno said. There's the amount of content that's going to be needed in every industry for every use case for the raccoons, <laughs> for everybody, uh, is uh, so much harder. And so AI, uh, amazing art tools that allow every, everyone to sort of um, uh, imagine the 3D world uh, that they want to sort of create, I think are critical. Okay, Hanno's raising his hand. Yeah, I just want to say something real quick, something that occurred to me just now. Okay, I'm going to go out here on a limb. I think within 10 years, every single thing that exists in the real world will also have a digital twin 
in the next 10 years. I'm 100% convinced and it will include raccoons and cockroaches <laughs> and uh, uh, You've heard it here first. Uh, I'm 10 years. pretty sure. Actually, a raccoon already exists. I mean, you guys have seen uh, Guardians of the Galaxy? He looks a little bit like a raccoon. I mean, he, he is offended, obviously, when you call him a raccoon, but uh, <laughs> still looks like one. Anyway, so, so I think that's clearly going to happen. Uh, again, I think the, the bigger issue is how do you kind of make something that makes sense and is integrated out of that. Okay. Jenna, you want to comment on ingredients as well? Anything else that we have left off the table? Just to give an example, I'm actually, so Zambezi Partners is my, when I'm not shooting zombies by day or slashing music blocks, I have a company called Zambezi Partners and we use data and IoT devices. We've created a platform with our strategic partners, Microsoft. We're actually the, the first to commercialize the open source code out of the um, IoT division. Uh, it's called Project 15. We're the first conservation partners. Um, and, and so to me, we have to think about the metaverse being a data platform and, and how we're going to harness all that data and how we're going to use it for good, how we're going to use it for evil. And so I think thinking about how all that data and government policy and all how that, that works is, is an ingredient we need to, to focus on and we need to think about, um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a technologist, I'm proficient, <laughs> um, but I care about all these things because my job is to look at these deals and bring partners together and create win-win scenarios. And so I have to look at all these ingredients. And so there are a myriad of variables that we're not even bringing up here on the panel, um, but creator tools, data, digital twins, platforms, there's just so many things and we just, we don't know yet. Well, you bring up something that I was going to ask as well is that in regards to concerns over safety and security, especially, you know, the, the work that you've been doing. So I'll, I'll ask a follow on where, what is, um, what do you think your company is doing or what are other companies doing to ensure consumers have a safer and more secure environment? Do you want to address that or do you? I'm just going to speak to it from the creator, the developer point of view. You know, we need to abide by the rules um, and make sure that if we're creating a multiplayer game, we're creating something that needs to sit behind a firewall enterprise related that we are protecting people's privacy. That's the only position I can speak from. I can't, again, from the platform level right, back sure. in the day. But I think everyone has a responsibility because there's a lot of unknowns right now. So again, you know, from the creator standpoint, there, you know, when I worked at Maker, you had, I'll be nice, 21 year olds who didn't understand privacy policy, policies and, and using, licensing, right? <laughs> and using, you know, my job is to take all this content off of YouTube and distribute it. They didn't get rights for the music. <laughs> you know, they didn't blur their t shirts. They didn't know. <laughs> it was a pain. But, um, you know, we need to start thinking about making sure we educate this community. Uh, so I think uh, there's a responsibility not only on the platform side, these amazing big companies here, I think there's a responsibility on the creator side to start being um, cognizant of what's important to their fan base or future audiences or clients, if you will. Yeah, Mark, I want you you look fidgety. I think you want to respond to this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I think I, it's a great point. And I, I do think that as we do develop towards the, the metaverse, one thing that we saw in the last, you know, computing revolutions is maybe we didn't think as as much as we should have about the long-term implications. Uh, and I think putting that policy side, that policy side thinking up front around safety, around privacy, around um, sort of kind of self-determination of like, how is my data or my technology or my ability to participate in this, you know, in, inside of my control is something that we're all going to have to make sure that we 
think through from the beginning so that the interoperable standards that get built, the sort of foundations of technology that get built support it natively versus it be this thing that we have to all scramble to find a way to add on, which is what's happened in the last couple of computing revolutions. You want to add? Yeah, a couple of things. I think number one, uh, you know, the technology is just a means to an end. And so um, obviously we do need to uh, provide the means to, you know, protect protect the privacy of, 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 the, of the users. And that's why I think identity management and all that is very important. And obviously um, all the cloud providers do this today, right? We handle financial data, we handle, uh, you know, government defense data, we, we handle healthcare data and so on and so forth. So that's already kind of a given. But I think really at the same time, I think this new virtual world is gonna be a reflection of the real world. Right, and all the good and the bad and the ugly that resist, exists in the real world will, I think, in some sense also exist in the virtual world. And, and how we deal with that in the real world is by policies, by uh, uh, laws and law enforcement and all that. And we need gonna need the equivalent, uh, I think, in the- um, The virtual in, police? In the, in the virtual, yeah, we need the virtual police. <laughs> I guess we do. Um, but I think the other thought I wanna throw out there is that, um, and again, this is nothing new for humanity. I mean, if you look at 300 years ago, um, you know, even the value of a human life 300 years ago wasn't as high as, as it is now. I mean, very clearly. And morals and everything else have changed, right? And I think uh, we need to kind of absolve ourselves from the, from the illusion that the digital world, uh, everything we think today and feel is just and moral today is just as is going to, you know, migrate into this, into this virtual world. It's not, I think our, our notions of uh, privacy, for example, will change quite a bit. Uh, you know, the younger generation, they already have a totally different uh, expectation and, and, and relationship with privacy than, you know, our generation does. And so, so I think we don't know what we don't know actually here. It's going to be quite a bit of a journey. Okay. And Mark, I'm going to ask you a specific question. Um, it was based on an article that just came out, I think a week, week or two ago in wall street journal. Um, your colleague head of AR and VR, Timothy West says that it, it's a false binary to imagine that the metaverse will be something inside of a virtual world within virtual VR headsets or outside painted over the, the real world or AR based assembly. Last week you, sh you, you guys showed off, um, I think it was a board game of, of a mixed reality experience. Can you, you know, tell us a little bit about it and, or if, if that's not, you know, a monumental project in terms of how you're working towards building the metaverse, or is there something else that's happened recently that, you know, you feel like there's steps there? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Timony, I think, is one of our deepest thinkers. Uh, you know, they um, always has an in incredible perspective on sort of where the world is going. And I think the fundamental point that um, it's definitely not an or. Um, we're all going to go to virtual world sometimes. We're all going to see some AR in sometimes. And in many other worlds, it'll be the data that is a physical understanding. This idea of a digital twin means that even when you're not even visualizing it, there's an understanding of the real world that can then inform when I just pull out my phone or when I do something else through some other visualization. And all of those will come together and it will be a time and a place. 
the thing that you're mentioning is uh, uh, this this idea that we have around, uh, it's called uh, Slices Table, uh, which we did along with the meta announcement. It was one of the things that we talked about, and it was really with uh, allowing users to be able to look at a, any particular space, a table, and turn it into a board game, including with other people that aren't there. And so you could be there and play it, whether you have the goggles on or not. You could have the goggles on and be in other places, and therefore play a game of checkers or chess or you know those sorts of things. And there are simple examples, the simple sort of crayons, you know, as you will, of sort of how you might imagine the whole world becoming a interesting space for us to imagine what we want to have happen on at any moment in time. Maybe in AR, maybe in VR, may just be sort of a better understanding of the world. Okay. Great. Um... I was going to get to a next question here. So I, I want to ask you a follow-on, Mark. Um, Wall Street was saying that Metaverse is going to be the biggest. You were actually telling Wall Street that the Metaverse is going to be the biggest revolution in computing platforms, bigger than mobile, bigger than the web revolution. And can you tell us what, what, why you made that comment? Yeah, I, I firmly believe that um, this word, the metaverse, whatever it means, it really is this idea that there are better tools that better link the digital world and the physical world. I'm a complete believer in Hano's perspective that there's going to be a digital twin of the world, of the world, of cities, of everything in your house, of everything that you might come across. And what that's going to mean is that the set of tools that people then use to create apps or sites or whatever they will be in this sort of metaverse are just going to be richer than ever before because they're going to be able to be informed of what's happening with you and where you are in the real world and be able to sort of move between those in a way that just putting it like the idea of I had a website for my um, corner bakery. Um, everybody in the future is going to have a full 3D sort of realized virtual experience, including the directions on the road to, that sort of get me there that they built, uh, because it'll be the way that they drive uh, people to sort of know what the sort of uh, special of the day from the bakery is. And so that set of tools will provide more options, more opportunity for more people than even the last two, the, the big web revolution and the big mobile revolution that we've just been going through. All right. Jenna, do you agree with those? Comments? I don't disagree with it. <laughs> um, absolutely. I mean, there's there's just so many opportunities that this you know wave brings to people. There are going to be creators, but then there are going to be service providers. Um, one of my clients that I run business development for, full disclosure, are very immersive games. Um, they are Emmy-winning narrative designers. They make profitable, simple games. But like any company, they are reacting to the marketplace and they are not about years of experience, but depth of experience. And they're providing services to those who can't create, but can help them expedite building worlds and prototyping and all these things. So I think, you know, again, to, that it is going to be a big industry because for creators, there's going to be a partner in crime that will help them get there. So I just think that there's there's nothing that can't be done. We have exponential technologies that allow people to an individual to create something, allow studios to create something, and then large multi-global ginormous companies to do stuff. So um, that's why I'm excited. I think there's room for everyone right now. And what I'd like to see is just that with all the rhetoric going on, you know, let's let's give voice to those creators, big and small. You know, let's give voice to those who've actually done something, touched something. Yes, it's nice to prognosticate and hypothesize and all that stuff, but 
let's let's listen to the small voices because I think they have just as much value in this economy than, than the big companies, and I think they can contribute together. That's what I'm excited about. That's that's a great lead. And so I'm going to ask one more question to the panelists, and I was going to open it up for questions here for like the last nine minutes or so. But to your point, Jenna, like what outside of the, the major corporations that we think are the obvious, the usual suspects, who could be an outlier? Who could be a company that you think could impact this in a really big way? Have you thought about that? Or you want to go Hanna first? Sure. sure. Uh, I mean, all the usual suspects will try, I'm pretty sure, but I don't think a, a single, I hope actually, again, that uh, a single company won't succeed. Um, because there's so many different pieces of this that you actually need for this to really work. I mean, it's a societal thing, right? The society puts something together. And I think at the end of the day, in that sense, by the way, uh, so these digital twins that we keep talking about, there's not going to be one or two single entities that are going to create all these digital twins, right? The corner bakery, yes, they, they will create their own digital twins of, of whatever croissants and pastry they make. Uh, and that finds its way into the metaverse somewhere and then somebody else maybe be able to copy that and use it on their own or whatever uh, which is also going to be interesting and then so things like nfts i think will play a huge role there because you will need to be able to still uh, you know put proof of ownership against a, a digital thing of some sort and so that's all going to be really interesting and from that perspective so like i said everybody and everything every entity is going to become creators of, of, of content. So I think at some point we're not really going to talk about content creators anymore. It's just this digital stuff all exists in anybody with a phone or with a, like at some point you'll be able to just scan this water bottle and there's going to be a fully model textured, uh, you know, lightable, shadable, uh, representation of that in the, in the, in the virtual world. And anybody will be able to do that. Those tools, kind of exists today, but with a little bit more advancement in artificial intelligence and that sort of thing, I think that's, that's less than five years away. Okay. Well. I, can I want, yeah, sir. The, the other part that to me, um, that I'm really excited about, one of the things that um, to me was, has been inspiring, it's before my time at Unity, but has been inspiring at Unity is, you know, before Unity, before the mobile revolution, if you said, hey, where are games made? People would have said, oh, it's in Tokyo or it's in, some places in the, it's in these big studios in the, um, you know, on the west coast of the United States or something like that. You know, now if I told you that the biggest game in the world had just been launched by some kids out of a flat in the Philippines, um, well, first off, that happened. It's Axie Infinity is a good example of a game, you know, on the cutting edge of NFTs and this future thing, sort of done in an incredibly distributed way. So that, that was this past wave. If you then push forward 10 years, we talked about 30 years, 20 years, something like that to build the metaverse, and just look at the world growth. Most population growth is gonna happen in Africa. And uh, we have to make sure that we're building this not just for, hey, what's it gonna be like in LA and Seattle and San Francisco and, when I was at Microsoft, we always used to talk about building tech for the 425 area code, you know, like the, because <laughs> uh, that's not actually, like I think a lot of what this is going to be, because part of what the metaverse can do is it can bring more plenty because it doesn't require f physical things, you know, if we can get the tools and technology to people. But I think we're going to be surprised that there's going to be players that deliver extraordinary value or extraordinary sort of a movement forward that come from places where we're not thinking about today. That's interesting you say that because looking at the research, it says that North America is probably going to be the highest in terms of the economy. But to your point, it's it's the surprises that 
you know, create the creators and surprises that could. And 30 years is a long time, even on the economy side. (laughs) So we've got about seven minutes left. And uh, I thought I'd open the floor up because I think this is a really engaging topic and sounds like we've got some hands out there. So I'm going to go to, uh, do we have, do we have somebody, Laura, you want to go to Rob right here? Mr. Kane. I just want to concur with Hanna what you said, your concern about the metaverse uh, control and power concentrating too much and into individual companies' hands. I think that's been one of the hazards of uh, companies like Facebook and and, uh, Amazon and others. I wonder if any of you foresee sort of the opposite taking place where ownership and power is really distributed uh, very broadly to uh, to companies, yes, but also to individuals participating by buying in with, a, say, a coin or um, some some form of blockchain uh, ownership that would give them much greater power than they do now. Connor, yeah, uh, I think the biggest question there is going to be what's the barrier to entry, right? And I think with and this, I think, going to be permeating the rest of the festival here is with things like cloud technology and, you know, everybody having a phone and so on and so forth. I think we're going to see actually quite a bit of democratization in any kind of technology access. I mean, 5G technology will clearly provide that as well, right? Where you're always on a ubiquitous internet access, just going to be a given. It's not going to be expensive. It's going to be accessible to everybody. And the same is true for compute power in the future. And I think then also things like uh, uh, NFTs and cryptocurrencies, what have you, there's also an opportunity to, again, lower the barrier to entry for anybody who wants to participate here. And that kind of gives me a little bit of hope that, um, you know, central entities will have a really hard time really controlling it. If you look at the internet, right, that's, that's probably the best example here. Even Facebook and Google and, you know, maybe Microsoft at some point, obviously, and Amazon are all trying to kind of own the Internet, but nobody does. And that actually gives me a lot of hope. I just look at it from the other side as well. Switching cost. You know, people are going to invest their time learning a technology, buying real estate in a world. You know, whoever can increase the switching costs is going to sort of win or have the biggest audience and how do you keep them there and deliver value so i think from a not just a technology standpoint but just delivering value to someone so that you know if they're going to choose one tech over another or whatnot but the switching cost to me is what's going to determine who's going to be who's going to be the players in the space because it's not easy to just get someone to switch from fortnite to apex legends someone to do it from here unity to unreal you know it's that investment that they're putting in so I, i look at it from that side when i'm looking at you know Who's going to make that walled garden or open up the APIs? No, that was great. Good. Okay. Any other questions? Oh, we had another hand out there. Did that cover everything? Okay. Hi. So I'm curious about. Thank you. So I'm curious about the fact that historically with technology, as it advances, there are certain percentages of the population that do not, don't have the ability to use the technology or learn about the technology, which creates further issues with diversity. And so I'm curious in this state, 
do any of you have any concerns that as this metaverse grows and expands, that we're gonna be creating a further gap between that and not kind of bringing up the rest of the population? Yeah, I, uh, I'll start. I, I think um, I think it has to remain front and center. It's a huge concern because I, I do think that the, what we talk about a lot at Unity is this idea of democratizing the tools. I'll tell you the truth that like we've made the tools quite accessible at some level, but they're not really that accessible when you take it to the extent that you're talking about. I do think that there are more and more, you know, the, the advent of phones, as an example, created a level of accessibility that didn't exist before. There's a, going back to my example in Africa, there's a group of filmmakers, the critics of rule. I don't know if any of you follow them on Facebook. You should. They're amazing. They're 17 years old. They shoot on a $20 budget using their, their phones, and they do, you know, amazing, amazing experiences where they do all of their own effects and all of this kind of stuff because they have access to a tool that they never could have had access to before because of the phone and camera and good photography but also the barrier to entry. There's not like you didn't have to know a lot on how to start figuring out how to shoot. And I think we have to be inspired by those type of people and sort of how do we, how do we raise up their voices, not just the largest studios or the largest um, industries. There's but definitely some geographic bias on, on that side. I just got back from Africa. My company's named Zambezi after the river in Africa. Um, I advise some AI centers for excellence in Nairobi. Um, it's amazing what is available, and so we need to think about those emerging markets from from that standpoint. You know, from a, from a gender standpoint, we're seeing waves of you know investment. Right, Activision just invested in Women in Games International. We're seeing a lot of it, and yeah, it might be a tick, in a, you know, in a box, which sucks, but take it, run with it, yell. You know, so I, I do think that people are much more aware of not, you know, ignoring territories and genders and things of that nature. So I'm, I'm encouraged by it. Yeah, when you talk about barrier to entry in terms of the products themselves though, like the head mounted displays, the cost, that's what you're referring to as well, right? So what, what's going to drive that, um, those costs down or is it just technology moving forward? What, what's the, um, what's gonna reduce that friction or to get in? Well, if you look at, um, mobile devices, right? Not cheap actually, but there's so much value in having a smartphone, especially if you're in an, another, you know, in a developing world where that's pretty often the only, your only access to the outside world. You get your entertainment, you get your news, you get your uh, social networking, you get your uh, everything through there. Uh, that has, basically led to the fact that the vast majority of humankind now, almost every person has a, has a phone now of some sort. So, and it's easy to use. And, you know, I think if I look at my household, so, I mean, my wife is using her phone, I think more than, than I do, and she knows better how to use it than I do. Uh, so from that perspective, I think that's, that's great. But I think there are certain areas here where the barriers of entry will exist, right? And that's, that's, again, to me, it's just a reflection of the, the, the real world, right? We have barriers to entry for women, for minorities, uh, you know, today in the world, right? And that's not, that's a constant struggle, I think. Um, and, and I don't think that just by going into the virtual world, that's going to magically go away. It's still going to be there. It's just a, just a thing to be mindful of. And it, like I said, the constant struggle. Great. 
Well, thanks, Lena. Thanks for the questions. I think we are at time. So uh, I'd like to thank our panelists today. Thank you for, for joining and uh, appreciate the, uh, enjoy the afternoon. Lori, do you have anything? Great, thank you. Let's have a big hand for Rick, Mark, Jenna, and Hanno. This has been the Infinity Festival Hollywood Podcast, a production of the Infinity Festival Hollywood and the Augmented City. You can find us on all major podcasting platforms and our website, infinityfestival.com. That's one word, infinityfestival.com. And there you'll find a full schedule, speakers, and map of this year's festival. We want to thank our presenting sponsors, Z by HP, NVIDIA, XLA, and our co-presenter Qualcomm for their support of this audio series. I'm John Gaunt, inviting you to Hollywood's Vinyl District this November for the Infinity Festival Hollywood 2022. Thanks for listening.